The dog is dead. You scurry away from the door and pull your ear off the thick frosted window, the one with your name stenciled on the outside. The privacy helps any clients you have feel more at ease, but it's much harder to eavesdrop into the hallway. Your assistant comes back into the office, and you try not to act like you were listening to the muffled conversation outside. You are a private investigator, after all, and so you can't help but investigate. The man whom your assistant excused herself to speak to is now gone, down with the help of the kindly old elevator operator with the lisp. The man is out into the city streets, but an air of menace remains, wafting through the room. The girl grabs her coat from the hook, and you feel her eyes on you as you pretend to thumb through some documents. You look up and ask her what that was all about. She does not look well, and says she has to go, if that's okay, but then leaves in a rush without an answer from you. The paper you've yet to write on stares up from the desk, but this event is much more interesting. You've had this assistant for a while now. She's always been courteous and prompt, and never had any visitors come to see her at work. And now, an argument from some stranger in the hallway, and an abrupt exit... You look at the blank page on your desk and fold it up, putting it in your pocket. Though you've been at this office for a while now, you haven't had many cases. Not any, really. It takes time to build trust, you keep telling yourself. Some would call you a bad detective, but you don't talk to those kind of people. A case will present itself if only you keep your ear out. Five men burst into your office, broad shoulders, thick necks, and one with a briefcase in hand. They speak without introduction and ask about your assistant. You tell them they can hang up their hats and coats, but they just stand at the doorway, filling the air with double the menace than before. They want to know where she went. You say you don't know. They look a lot like the mob to you, though in truth you imagine the mob would look like most people, or not try to look so intimidating. The man in the front with the briefcase opens it up and looks at something inside. He says you'd better find her and remind her that the big moment is happening tonight, and they're counting on her. They don't mention paying you for this, because it's not really a case, but you decide to take the case, even though it's not a case, because you have nothing else to do. And, if your assistant is caught up in some mobster business, you feel a responsibility to help her out of it. You touch the paper in your pocket, but that can wait. You crack open your office door to see the burly men squish into the elevator with the kindly old operator with a lisp. And when the elevator gate closes, you sprint down the hall and rush down the steps to trail them. You sprint back to your office to grab your hat and coat and then rush down the steps to trail them. follow the men through the downtown streets. You hear one of them mention the name Wally the Walrus and how he'll definitely be needing your assistant. You wonder who the dog is, and are they dead now, or was it a threat? A contract for her? Some kind of initiation? Mobsters love to use animals as their nicknames. You're coming to see. You take out your notepad to scribble the info. A tiny hand shoves a newspaper into your face, and you swat it away. The small child keeps shoving the paper at you, the front page news. So you hand him a nickel and snatch the paper. 
you almost miss the group of men ducking into a restaurant. You loiter outside at the big window as the men sit down, squishing themselves into a booth. They open the briefcase and look through some documents. A door opens in the adjacent alley, and a teenager with an apron starts to smoke. Gives you an idea. A private investigative idea. You enter the restaurant from the back, now donning the boy's apron and paper hat, the perfect disguise. You walk up to the men and ask if you can take their order, but they say that someone already took their order, and have you spoken with your assistant about tonight? You feign ignorance, but have enough time to see a phrase on one of the papers, a mention of a zebra suitcase. You go to jot it down, but realize you left your notepad in your coat with the boy in the alley, and go back to get it from him. He wants to keep the hat and you begrudgingly let him. A zebra suitcase. That must be where they've hidden a weapon, or what they're going to transfer some contraband in. You can't believe your assistant has been caught up in all this mess, and you hope she's not going to kill someone. Or worse. You leave the men at the diner, for fear of wasting time. Because really, the best place you can think of to find someone with a suitcase is at the train station. you sit. This is the part that most folks don't understand about private investigating. It's very boring. You would have liked to do some more reconnaissance, to go speak to her family, but you don't know much about your assistant. You don't know much about her at all. Maybe she doesn't have a family. Maybe she doesn't talk to them. train ticket taker attendant yells at you and says he knows that you didn't buy a ticket and are just sitting here doing nothing. You'd like to stay, but it's getting dark. And this now seems like a very big waste of time. You walk through the streets, think about going back to the office, but it just makes you sad. Your stupid name on the door. You feel the paper in your pocket. It can wait. You feel bad about abandoning your assistant to the seedy world of crime, but you just don't know anything about her. It's hard. You stop in front of a theater and rustle up some change from your pocket. The film they are showing is a new one, a Sydney August flick, the dashing young rogue, where he plays a captain of a band of ghost pirates terrorizing the high seas. The story is pretty stupid, the visuals are really quite good. Everybody loves his films, his signature catchphrases and whistle. The popcorn here is too salty, but you don't have enough nickels for a soda because of that stupid newspaper. You wish you had some friends in the city. Power goes out in the theater. They won't even give you your change back. With nothing to do, you grumble your way back to the office. Maybe the girl has come back. You wish you could have figured out what she's doing. You'd hate for her to be dealing with the mob right now. Maybe you are a terrible detective. You see the kindly old elevator operator with the lisp. Because the power is out here too. He's sitting on a little stool in the lobby. He says he can't do anything. But they're paying him to be here. He offers to walk up the steps with you. As long as you're not higher than the ninth floor. You chat about the case, 
and you think your assistant is going to perform a hit contract with the mob. He nods, saying he used to be with the mob, and they cut out part of his tongue. This surprises you, because he is a kindly old elevator operator, but he does have a lisp. There's something else bothering you, he intuits, but you don't let him push the issue. He offers up a particularly witty line, and you let him know what a good line it is. He says he didn't come up with it. It's from The Dog is Dead. (coughs) You make him repeat himself. He says he doesn't know, but it's probably from The Dog is Dead. He clarifies, laughing. You know, the guy from the movies, Thid August, he makes up all his own lines. That's what they say. It's from Thid August's head. The dog is dead? Thid August's head? Is that who they're after? It's happening tonight? Does your assistant know that... Oh, no. You sprint past the kindly old elevator operator who was in the mob and rush to your office to grab your gun. You stand in your office and think, where could they be? You've got to warn him, but... You hold up the front page of the newspaper you bought. The headline is about the zoo. It's closed because they're filming a new picture, bigger than ever, with dashing rogue, Sidney August. You run back to the train station, but the same guard is there and thinks you're a bum, so he yells at you immediately. You contemplate stealing a motorcycle, but you don't know how. You don't have any money to take a cab, but an actual bum gives you his change for your trench coat, and you hail a taxi and zoom through downtown to the zoo. It looks like a military operation but it's a film crew in full swing. You join the fray, wandering through, seeing a man in a gorilla suit holding his gorilla head in his gorilla hands. Beyond him, you spot your assistant, facing away, over by some boxes, alone. You rush over to her, gun at the ready. You tell her to stop, that you know the mob is after her, but you're going to get her out of here. She turns, and in her hands is the chopped-off head of Sidney August. You grow faint, ready to vomit, and have to lean up against a large case with an open lid. You look inside to see a zebra costume. She laughs and asks what you're doing here without a coat and a hat. She was going to tell you, but didn't want to hurt your feelings. She got a new job, for the movie, in the prop department. There's a big zoo escape scene, and a tiger attack. Well, not a real one, as she holds up the dripping fake head. She thought she'd leave today so that you could finish what you were writing. She knows you all haven't talked. You feign ignorance again, asking what she could possibly mean. You turn to see Sidney August, over by a man in a walrus costume, getting ready for the big scene. Sidney waves and starts to walk over to you. You haven't spoken to your younger brother in years. You go up to him, hands in your pockets. He's a dashing rogue. You stammer that you saw he was in town. He smiles, disbelieving. He asks how August Investigators is going. Got the name on the door, you say, trying to laugh. You mentioned you wrote him a card. We're writing him a card. Had a piece of paper. But 
you can't delay it any longer. You tell him happy belated birthday and that you're proud. You see all his films. He hugs you and says you should get dinner while he's in town. And you say you know a great restaurant. A little bit because you want your hat back. But mostly because you want your brother back. He agrees and heads on toward the film set. The joy in the air is replaced with menace as the producer shouts to the crew about wasting time and your ex-assistant tells you she thinks that guy works for the mob. You tell her not to be so quick to judge. You'll know when you see one. Thanks so much for listening. The Dog is Dead is written by me, Taylor Zablowski, at a table in the public library, recorded under a blanket in my closet, and edited in a fast food restaurant booth with the nearest power outlet. Let me know what you think by leaving a review or sending a message at podcastgod.net. Thanks again for listening, and stay tuned. Stay tuned.